Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. Just, just why, just before I start speaking, um, just while we're in worship, I had this reminded of this scripture uh, in Genesis. And, uh, you know, that was, that was incredible worship that was happening before. And, uh, and you could feel the presence of God in this place. And, this, and, and the Holy Spirit just reminded me of this scripture. And it says this in Genesis 28, verse 16. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I wasn't even aware of it. But he was also afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. It is none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. And if you study that story, what he saw, if you look at all that, he saw a staircase uh, from heaven and, and angels moving up and down from heaven to earth. And if you study that, it's actually an Old Testament picture of our church today. That's what that is a picture of. And, and he said, surely the presence of God is in this place. It's none other than the house of God, the very gateway to heaven. It's a picture of God, spirit being poured out. And there's like he just comes as we worship, he comes and, and it's like he ministers to people and touches people's lives. And, and that phrase, surely the presence of God is in this place. And this morning, surely the presence of God is here. He's here. And where his presence is, like George was talking about that, where his presence is, anything is possible. Anything is possible. You could have been in the middle of that worship before and you may have needed healing in your body and he can just heal you just in that moment simply because his presence is here. He's, everywhere Jesus went, where he, his presence was, people came and they were healed. Sometimes every single one of them of every single disease. And the Bible says there was... if. There was not, not enough books were written for how many miracles actually happened. They're not all recorded because our Bibles would be four meters deep or whatever. There was, it was just thousands and thousands and thousands of miracles simply because the presence of God was there. I want to share this morning, and I might rush through a couple of bits of it, but I'll just share this morning God, something God has put on my heart is living with expectancy. Living with this is the last day of 2017, and tomorrow we're going to cross over and step into a brand new year, a brand new day. And I believe that 2018 is going to be very different to something new. That there's that we need to have an expectancy of what God is going to do, because I believe God is going to do more, like Rach said before, more than we've ever seen. More than we've ever seen, ever, ever seen. I'm not just talking about just in our church. I'm talking about in our nation, in the churches of our nation. And there's many visitors here this morning that we've got Pastor Mark down here and his wife and others, that, and Matt's mum and dad. And, and we've got other people visiting. And you represent different churches, you know, all around. And I believe there's going to be more than you've ever seen in 2018. And so a little while ago... I was uh, I got together with I'm a regional youth alive director. So once a year we get everyone together. All the regional directors from Queensland and Northern Territory get together um, on the Gold Coast for three or four days, and and we plan for the next 12 months and get together. On the first night we got together, had a guy there, just a bunch of uh, youth pastors and young adult pastors and and different things. Some are younger and some are older, and get together and and there's a guy playing guitar and uh, and just into worship. And in the middle of worship, I see this. Uh, 
um, this vision of something, and I didn't say anything about it. And then, then uh, Pastor Ken Brennan, who's the uh, National Youth Alive Director, just shared for about 20 minutes something God put in his heart uh, for all of us, for not just for us personally, but really for what he believed God was going to do coming into 2018, and, and shared that. And at the, at the end of it, he said, you know, does anyone want to say anything about that or whatever? And then I'd been hanging on to this sort of vision the whole time of what I'd seen, and what he then spoke about lined up with what I saw. And so then at the end, I said, oh, can I just share something I saw in the worship? And so this is what I saw. And I, and I, and I don't just believe this is just, it wasn't just for us, but I just believe in general it was like something that I saw over maybe churches in a nation and groups of people and youth groups and young adult groups and things like that in that context, but also churches. And this is what I saw. I saw people functioning in groups, doing things. They were, they were busy for God, having church, doing all those things, but they were covered in a layer of dust. And when you have something that gets dusty, it means it's, you know, if you had something sitting on a shelf for a long time and it's not, hadn't been moved, it's kind of just dusty and it's like, almost like it's stagnant, it's still. And so that's what I saw, these people are actually doing stuff and they were doing this, this and this, but there was actually a layer of dust on them. And I thought, man, someone's going to start sneezing in a minute with that amount of dust. And they were just this thick layer of dust over them and they weren't aware of it. And then I saw this, I saw the wind of God's Spirit. So the Holy Spirit just rushed in like a roar. And we look on the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that a roar came. It was so loud that people ran from all over the city because they heard this roar. And I saw this wind come and it blew away the dust. And it was like, it was like you know, it was like, it was like a black and white footage. If you like, there was people black and white. It was like all dusty, it was all grey. But then the wind came and everything came into colour. And they suddenly realized that it was like, and it was a picture of this, it was people that were comfortable, people that were settled, people that were just maybe religiously doing church and, and re- just going through the motions of it and maybe, you know, functioning, but God says there's a fresh wind that you need to get a hold of. There's, I need to blow away the dust because I want to bring something brand new. I want to bring something fresh. And so I saw that. And then um, Pastor Karen Bennett uh, said, well, I need to share something else with you. And, and about a month before we got together, he was over in Singapore at a conference. And Pastor Michael Maiden, I don't know if you, some of you know who he is, uh, is a great man of God in America, was preaching. And he's, he's a prophetic teacher, probably the best in the world at the moment, and very accurate at what God speaks to him. He's a great man. And, and he shared, then he started to share, well, this is what he said to me and had this word of my life. And it lined up with the vision that I saw. And then, and plus more. And so God was obviously speaking something through that. And this, and it wasn't something just for the group we were there. It was something that was much bigger. It was something that was much, oh, it was over. Because we were representing our states. We, and, and Cameron Bennett represented our nation for youth. Alive. He was the leader. And so it was much bigger what God was saying, I'm going to do, I'm going to blow away the dust. Going to blow away the dust. Going to blow away the comfortableness. So I'm going to talk about that for a moment. Before we end with the last point is living with expectancy. Before we get there, I want to read something to you. In Luke 10, um, it says this, verse 1. After this, Jesus, Lord Jesus, formed 32 teams among the other disciples. This is the Passion Translation. Each team had uh, two disciples, so 32. 
five teams of two, 70 in all, and he commissioned them to go ahead of him into every town he was about to visit. He released them with these instructions. The harvest is huge and ripe. Talking about people. But there are not enough harvesters to bring it all in. As you go, it says plea, but the other version says to pray with the owner, which is God, of the harvest to drive out into the harvest fields many more workers. Asking God to send many more people to go. Now off you go. I'm sending you out even though you feel as vulnerable as lambs going to a pack of wolves. You won't need to take anything with you. Trust in God alone. And don't get distracted from my purpose by anyone you might meet along the way. Do you know that statement is still true today? The the harvest is huge and it's ripe. It's huge and it's ripe. And if Jesus was walking the earth, he'd say, he'd turn around and say to us, the harvest is huge. There's people just waiting to hear about me. There's people that just need to hear some truth about who Jesus is. And when they see who Jesus really is and, and see the gospel, not just the words, but see it in action, then they will come running into the kingdom of God because they will see Jesus and see who he really is. And it says, don't get distracted from my purpose by anyone you might meet along the way. I want to talk to you a few minutes about urgency over complacency. Urgency over complacency. It's easy to grow complacent. Okay, we don't mean to. And and when I'm talking, I'm not talking about our church or you individually. I'm just talking in general, okay, in in our churches. As a Christian, it's easy to grow complacent, to kind of just go through the motions, to get used to something. And and without even knowing it, we just keep doing the same thing. And and we're not actually pursuing something. And we're not even, we're stepping out into something. It's easy to get comfortable. Who likes a bit of comfort? There's a few hands up. Everyone else is going, oh, I don't know if I should. Sometimes we get busy doing things that aren't wrong, but they aren't the most important things or urgent things in God's eyes. So sometimes we get busy doing things that aren't wrong, but they may not be the most important thing God wants you to be doing. Doesn't mean you stop doing it, but sometimes we need to look at take a step back and say, God, what is the most important thing you want me doing right now? What needs to come first? Example, example could be this. Being busy focused on work at a cost of spending time with your family. There's nothing wrong with working. We need to run businesses. We need to work and that's good. But if there's a cost of spending time with your family, then something is out of balance. And God will look at that and say, you need to get some balance back there because your family is much more important than your work. Or focusing on a hobby. Who loves to have a hobby? Hobbies are great. We need to, I love fishing. Other people love doing many other things. And hobbies are great, but if a hobby comes at the cost of spending time reading the Word and praying with God, and all that time go and focus goes into that and not in God, then it's going to have some consequences in your life. Your relationship with God will start to grow cold. You might be really passionate about that hobby, but in the end, you're going to start to feel empty because the, the one who makes you full and to love life and to live life, the relationship you have with Jesus is waning, is beginning shallow. You need to have him first. You need to be, have his word. He needs to speak to you first. You need to pray and get in his presence first before 
other things. And so none of those things are wrong, working and having a home, none of that's wrong. But what I'm saying is that there's some things in God's heart that are much more important and you need to know what those important things are. You need to say, God, what is the most important things in my life? What do you want me to do right now? If we truly want to see God move in our nation and transform people in large numbers, which is definitely possible because I've seen it happen, then we need to be doing the things that are most important to God. God needs to be part of everything we do. I believe that that we are going to see an incredible move of God that is not just going to see many people into the kingdom and get saved and get to know God, but it's going to change culture. It's going to change cities. It's going to change the way people think. It's going to change the way people view church and and that. They're going to see the raw and true power of God and miracles happen and they won't be able to explain it, so they'll have to come and see it. We all want to grow in our personal relationship with God and we want to see our church grow. We want to see... Hundreds of people, I want to see hundreds of people, you know, coming in. I want to see people lined up at these doors, so an hour before the service, just trying to get a seat. God needs to be part of everything we do. I believe that, you know, we'll, I want, I'm believing to see a significant move of God. I've been in some meetings where that was happening in another country. I'll share one story about that shortly. And so I've seen it. Because I've seen it, it's like that song, do it again. I'm like, God, do it again. He doesn't always do it the same way, but I've seen it. And I've seen it, and I thought, we're not there yet, because I've seen what is possible. I've been a part of it. But the thing is about this, that we want to see all that, say, yes, God, do it again. We want to have all that happen. But we like the familiar. Who likes things to be familiar? We don't like to be surprised. Who loves surprises? Oh, that's good. Who doesn't like surprises? There's a few of you. We don't like to fail. Who loves to fail? One, one, well done. Thank you for being honest. Hey, I'll tell you what. If you don't fail, you don't learn. It's okay to fail. It's okay. Don't ever let someone think, tell you that, oh, well, if you're a failure, you're a failure, that's it. No, you actually, by making mistakes, you actually learn something new. The disciples failed all the time, and Jesus deliberately let them fail so they could actually grow. So it's okay to fail. You have permission to fail? Whatever, go for it. But we don't like to fail because we, we straight away think, what are they thinking about me? What is that person thinking? Because I've failed. What are they going to label me as? We don't like to be in a place where we feel uncomfortable. Who loves to be in a place where you feel uncomfortable? You again. Well done. (laughs) We like it safe. Who loves it when it's safe? We're in a safe place. We know what's going to happen. We know what's ahead. We, We can see all around. We feel safe. We don't like to know or we... We like to know what we're getting. Who likes to know? You kind of know what's coming. You know what's getting. You know what? That all those things are listed there, that comfort and familiarity is the very enemy to growth. If you stay and live in, that, in those parameters with your life, you won't grow. Full stop. 
you will stay the same. Your 2018 will be the same as 2017 if you allow those things to rule your life. If you allow, uh, if you like the familiar and stay in the familiar, if you don't want to be surprised, if you don't like, don't want to fail, if you don't want to be in a place where you feel uncomfortable, if you want to stay in a place where it's safe, if you like to know what you're getting, if you stay in that place, you will not grow in 2018. Ever, probably, yes. So right there is an enemy to grow. Do you know what? The disciples that hung around Jesus, he didn't let them stay in any of those places. He got them uncomfortable all the time. He let them fail all the time. Then he taught them through it and he spoke to them about it because he knew that was the place of growth. When God moves, things don't stay the same and it isn't always comfortable. Let me share a couple of examples. When I, years ago, I was in America and I dropped in. I heard about this revival, this awakening, this move of God, whatever you call it, at, at, uh, at Brownsville Church um, in Pensacola, Florida. And, and, uh, and I was about 21 or so and I, we dropped in there for a week. I was with my mum and my sister and, and we said, we'll go to a week's worth of meetings. And we arrived and the meetings were at night and uh, we expected that we could just, you know, come half an hour before or whatever and thought it'd be pretty full and get in. So we arrived half an hour before. The main building which seated 5,000 was full. There's an overflow building that seated 2,000 and we got two little, three little seats up the back corner just and everyone else was standing. So the next day to get into the main building we had to start lining up at 9.30am for a 7 o'clock meeting and every day was like that and it had been like that for three years and that was the hunger that people had for God. And so there's so many stories I could share what happened, but there was incredible things happening. But around that church, it, it sort of started on Father's Day 1995, and around that church there was a lot of crime. There was actually prostitutes that had walked the streets along uh, the other side of the road. And so there was all that stuff. But in, by the time we got there, sort of three years into it, the crime rate was nearly zero in that whole suburb and actually most of the city of 300,000. Prostitutes that walked the streets were in church saved. And, and, so, and God was moving so powerfully that when people did something wrong, the police who knew about what was going on, they'd arrest people for something and instead of taking them to jail, they'd take them to church. And so they were driving him into church, walking him into church. And, so, and these people were surrendering their lives to Jesus. And so in about five years, 1.4 million people gave their life to Jesus in that one church, in that one place but also many people came and went and and God did the same thing in many other places around the world and so I saw you know all that kind of stuff going on and I remember one story there's so many stories there was war there's witches and warlocks like the real deal that that are out there that tried to come along we're going to disrupt this meeting and and they ended up trying to put curses over in the building and all this and by the end of it they ran out screaming of the building, they either, run, they either ran to the front and surrendered their life to Jesus, which many did, or they ran out of the building screaming. And it was just like full on. Like I walked in and thought, this is nothing like I've ever seen in my entire life. And, and you walk in and, and before the service has started, there's people that are crying out on their knees, weeping before God and, and praying for what God was about to do. And, and it wasn't like anyone just, just walked in. The presence of God was just there all the time. It was so thick that sometimes you just could hardly stand up just by before the meeting even started that for years and so I remember this one story 
of uh, this girl that had had a youth group. It was a very comfortable church beforehand, very comfortable. A church of about um, 1,000 people maybe, 800 people. Very comfortable. Had this youth group of probably 100, 150 kids, and they were all together, had it all together, and it, was, and, and it was all good, and they'd have youth every week. And then all of a sudden, God just showed up this one Sunday, and this presence of God was so powerful and so strong that, you know, people have been praying for this to happen, and, and people just didn't want to leave the building because they've been touched. There was people on the floor everywhere, and God's power just came. His presence just came. This weight of God's presence just blew into the building and just didn't leave is what happened. And so anyway, so this one girl, this family who had been grown up in the church, and she was there, and her life was all comfortable and all together, and... You can actually watch her testimony on YouTube and she gives this testimony about a month into what God was doing and she hears about what God is doing and, uh, and, and hears about all these other people are coming in and they're not all well dressed and there's people walking off the streets and they had a prostitute that walked into the church and, and she's like, well, what's God doing to my church? You know, what's, I'm not going to church and so she didn't go. She refused to go because it, was it wasn't comfortable anymore wasn't all together anymore. It wasn't services are going for three hours. I want, I want an hour and a half. That's what I want. I don't want that, so I'm not going. So she didn't show up. She just kept hearing all the stories and, and all that. And I think her parents, they sort of went along and all that, but she wouldn't go. She's about 15 years old. I'm not going because it's just not, not how I like it. Anyway, so she's at home and God starts working on her heart. She's like super comfortable, super all together, doesn't want to be her life to be adjusted. And then she goes, well, I'll go one night. She went midweek one night. There was meetings on every night of the week. She goes on, she walks in, and the power of God touches her and just totally breaks her in one moment. And she, start, and she shares this testimony. And as she's sharing this testimony, as you're watching, she just starts weeping and crying on the, and just saying, this, oh, my heart was so hard. I just thought I just wanted it my way. And I was so selfish when I look back. And, and I didn't want it. I wanted it to be in order. But God, you know, our order is not God's order. And what we think is comfortable, God thinks, no, that's rubbish. I want to come and mess things up a little bit. I want to bring people in that need me. I want to bring people in that maybe aren't dressed like you and look like you and, and smell like you. And he said, he doesn't care. He says, just bring them all in because they need me. I love them just as much as you. And so that's what was, that was happening. So all these people are coming in and she starts sharing. And as she's sharing on this video, again, after she'd been there now for a week or so and just sharing how God had totally changed her. And she was almost had to repent of what her thinking and all this kind of stuff. And as she does it, the power of God comes and, and throws her sideways across the stage. And there's these 10 pastors standing around her and they all go flying across the stage as well. As if God said, that's... It's like confirmed. He said what her words said, that she, God just released another wave of his power straight into the middle of that meeting. And so God, you know, it's easy for us to sometimes get comfortable and just want to come and enjoy life. But God wants to come and do much more than what we've seen. And sometimes we can get dusty. We can get dusty and think, oh, we're doing everything's going good. And it can be going okay. But God says, no, there's much more. Don't, don't get dusty. Don't get, you can be busy doing stuff, but maybe you're not doing the things that God wants you to do. We need to find ourselves being, I've got six points, we need to find ourselves being comfortable with the uncomfortable. Comfortable with the uncomfortable. You know, and our church is pretty good. We have, we, you know, we have anyone welcome to walk into this place, and we've had all kinds of people, and so this is not a word particularly for some people here or anything like that, but in general, in our nation, there's some churches that people would walk into, and they just wouldn't feel like going welcome. 
They wouldn't want to walk into because people look going, well, how come you haven't got, how come you're wearing thongs? You can't wear thongs in this. This is the house of God. This is holy ground. This is, a, this, you can't wear that. It's just not true. And so there's, you know what I mean? So there's people that, you know, where Jesus would, he'd go looking for the purpose of wearing thongs. Because that's all they wore in those days anyway. And so he'd go looking for the people that weren't well-dressed, that no one else would go and speak to. And he'd go, I'll look for you. I'll bring you. Because he would see people's hearts. He would see the ones that needed him. We need to learn to stretch and grow. The second thing is this, we need to pursue continual discomfort. There's that word, I don't like discomfort. We need to pursue continual discomfort. When we are constantly being challenged by God, we are growing. When, there's a, when, there's a, when we get comfortable, we stop growing. But when there's this bit of discomfort going, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied with just seeing a few people come to know Jesus every week. I'm not satisfied there's people that are sick people in our church and aren't healed yet. I want to see them all healed. I want to see, I'm not satisfied. My neighbors, my street, they haven't come to church yet. I'm not satisfied. There's a discomfort. There's a, there's a Holy Spirit. There's a stirring on the inside of you saying, come on, come on. There's more you can do. Step out, step out, step out, step out in faith. Step out of your comfort zone. Get into a little bit of discomfort. Because that's where God moves, in the discomfort. Discomfort causes you to keep moving forward and not to stay still. Jesus never let his disciples get comfortable. Never, ever. He was always moving in the discomfort. He's always doing something new. And they'd be like, Jesus, what are you doing now? I don't understand. What why are we going here? Why are we going there? Why do we have to, you know, why do we have to go get all this food and try and feed all these people? Just send them all home. Why do we have to see another miracle happen? What's, what are you doing? I don't understand. They didn't understand everything Jesus was doing, but afterwards they did. He deliberately got them out of their comfort zone. The third thing is this. The enemy will fight you over unity. He will fight you over unity. He will fight you over unity in your family. He will try and cause disunity. He will try and cause disunity in your small groups. He will try and cause disunity between your friends, cause disunity between churches, between inner church or between churches. And we have great unity in this city between our churches and in our church. But there's always times when things just pop up and the enemy tries to go to work and tries to split things apart because he knows this, where there's unity, God commands the blessing in Psalm 133, 1-3, how wonderful, how beautiful. When brothers and sisters get along, it's like costly anointing oil flowing down the... Uh, this is a picture of God's power and anointing. Head and beard flowing down Aaron's beard, flowing down the collar of his priestly robes. It's like the Jew of Mount Hermon, which talks a, is a picture of the church flowing down the slopes of Zion. Yes, that's where God commands the blessing and ordains life forevermore, eternal life. God commands the blessing when there's unity, unity together, unity in hearts, unity in spirit, unity is one coming together. But the enemy will fight you over unity and don't let him win. Be aware. When, when he tries to bring disunity, you say, What's going, why is that person reacting? Why is this happening? Stop and think, hang on a minute, this is not right. There needs to be unity. I need to fix this up or they need to fix it up, whatever it may be. But we need to be aware the enemy will try and bring disunity, but God wants unity because that's where it commands, he commands the blessing. Number four is this, we need to get emotional. That doesn't mean we have to be crying all the time. 
That means we need to share stories about what God is doing. We need to share stories about what God has done. We need to share stories about testimonies of people being healed and being set free and changed. Things that will actually cause people to rise in faith. Because when you share a testimony about what Jesus has done in someone's life, it causes other people to go, well, if he can do it for them, he can do it for me. He can do it again. If that's possible, then it's possible for me. Or it's possible for my friend. Or it's possible for my family. So we need to get emotion. We need to share true stories. We need to share what God is doing in our lives. We need to share them to reinforce our culture and what we're about. And, and let, especially let those people know that don't don't know anything about Jesus, that don't know anything about church. There's people all through this city alone that don't know anything about church, don't know anything about Jesus, and all they need to hear is a testimony, a story about what Jesus did, because that's really what Jesus did. He told hundreds of stories. Some were true, some were just an example, a parable to make a point, but he shared story after story, and then after he shared the story, miracles would happen. Number five is we need an army of people that pray. We need an army of people that pray. Do you know, um, before Father's Day 1995 in Brownsville, there was two years before, there was a group of maybe 30 or 40 in the church that would consistently pray. And there was, a, and there was they, they said, we, we're, not, we're not comfortable with just church as it is. They had a church that was, you know, doing well. There's people coming every week. They were very comfortable. They said, there's so much more. There's so much more. There's a city. They watch out. There's crime on their streets. There's prostitutes walking on the street and, and their city and all this. And they're like, surely God wants to do more. Surely God wants them to be saved. Surely God wants to see people set free. And so they began to pray. And, as they, and they started a, like a Wednesday night prayer meeting and moved it. And so bit by bit, others would join. And others were, God was stirring up people to say, I'm not, I'm not satisfied. I'm not satisfied where it's at. I want more, God. And for two years, they began to pray and start crying out to God. And more and more people come and then about two or three months before God came in just this great move there was over 600 people gathering on a Wednesday night three quarters of their church was gathering on a Wednesday night crying out to God and all the over different praying for a couple of hours every Wednesday night crying out and then suddenly God just came and I believe Every move of God, every significant move of God that's changed nations, that's changed culture, that's changed cities and towns, that's changed lives, always comes through prayer. Always. You can, do it. you can have the best leaders and all that stuff. It won't make any difference. You need to be praying. Prayer. Not just individual prayer. Saying, well, I pray at home and all that's great. But corporate prayer is different to individual prayer. We need to get together and together and pray corporately because when it's like when you gather together at church, you say, well, I can have church at home, watch it on TV or whatever. That's great. But when we get together as the church, there's a different anointing that comes upon a meeting. There's a different power of God. He moves in a different way. And the same thing with prayer. We need to be praying individually at home or in the car, in the shower, wherever you pray. But we need to come together and pray. 
and get hungry for God, saying, God, I'm not satisfied. I believe there's so much more that you want to do. We need an army of people that pray. I can remember um, when the stage wasn't here, when it was along that wall, and uh, we would gather on Friday afternoon when I was about 18, 19 years old, and Emma was there, and I think Aaron showed up. I don't know how old you were then, Aaron. If you're, you're probably too young to come, but you can come. Troy was there, and a few others, uh, they're in this church, and we would, and there was probably 15 or 20 of us that gathered to pray, and we didn't have a MP3 player, didn't even own a mobile phone in those days. We had a CD player with a few probably Hillsong CDs or something else, and uh, playing, and we would just begin to worship God, and we begin to pray, and we'd pray for certain things in our city, and we'd pray for other, and the power of God would just come and show up. And, to show up. and we had people walking past off, and some are in our church today, because I talked to them the other day, I don't even know the story, but they would, they'd walk past and they would feel the power of God. And this one person, she, she walked past and she would actually have to detour left because she goes, I don't know what's going on in that place, but she felt like there was this fight battle going on, like, I, I need to go in there, but she's like, no, I'm resisting, I'm resisting, but now she's actually one of the leaders in our church. And so, and years later, she just rocked up at church. And there's other people that came walking past and they either heard or they felt, I need to walk in that place. And they walked through that door and we had people come in and just give their life to Jesus in the middle of a prayer meeting with a few young people and a few young adults together praying and prayer. And we did that for a few years. And you know what? The highlight for our week when that was happening, we were at TAFE, we were at school, we were doing all this kind of thing. But the highlight for everyone was getting together at 3.30 on a Friday afternoon together to pray because we didn't, we never knew what God was about to do. And years later, when I look back, all those people in that group, majority of those people now, they're all over the place, but they're all been leaders in churches. They're all been, they're doing stuff for God around the place because we got together and prayed with unity. There's a story about corporate prayer where Peter got arrested and uh, in the book of Acts chapter 12. And he's locked up in prison with guards around him. And he's asleep. And all of a sudden this angel, he thought he was in a bit of a dream. This angel rocks up, looks at him and says, Peter, wake up. Wake up. You've got to get up. He's like, what, what, what? Get up. Come on, you've got to get out. And he's got chains around him. And as the angel says that, the chains just fall off. And he's got two guards sitting right next to him and they don't wake up. So he stands up and as they're walking through the jail, all the doors just open. They're all locked and they all open. He walks out of the prison. He's walking out through. He's walking past the guards that are just standing there but they can't see him. And they get to the main gate and the main gates open up. And they, they walk through back to a house. And it says this, but while Peter was in prison, the church prayed very earnestly for him. And so why all this is happening they were gathered, all the disciples are gathered back in someone's house and they're praying for Peter in prison. As soon as they start to pray corporately together, an angel shows up and releases him from prison. He gets to the door. It's a pretty funny story. He gets to the door, knocks on the door, and the girl opens and says, Who are you? I'm Peter. I'm out of prison. And she thought, and so, you know, thought he was a bit of a ghost or something, shuts the door in his face and walks back and, uh, to, the, to the group and says, Peter's at the door. And they, they're all praying for him to get out of prison. And they go like, it can't be. It can't be Peter. That's what it says. They can't be. They're amazed. That prayer can't work that quickly. And so, you know, and so next minute they go to the door and they open it. It is him. You know, and he walks in and tells them the story. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is powerful. Worship team, you can come on up if you like. We can pray individually, but there needs to be corporate prayer. Last point is this. Living with expectancy. So God doesn't want us to stay comfortable. 
He doesn't want us to stay just in our comfort zone where it's safe. He wants you this year to step out into something new. Will you live with expectancy? Saying that song, do it again, lines up with that that phrase, living with expectancy. God, will you do it again? I'm not satisfied with, you know, what we have. We have a great church. We do. We have an awesome church. We have people come in and go, this is an awesome church. And they come in all the time. Mark has an awesome church. But I'll tell you, if I had a conversation with Mark, he would say, I'm not satisfied. Not satisfied with what we got. There's, there's more people out of church than in church. Yeah. I'll start to get a bit satisfied when there's more people in church than out of church on a Sunday in this city. There's a story. I love this story. It's it's in Matthew 14, 34. I'll read you this phrase and and do a backtrack about how this happened. In Matthew 14, 34 to 36, it says they're in a boat with the disciples, Jesus, and they go across the lake. And it says, after they cross the lake, they land at uh, Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, the news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area. And soon people were bringing all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick touch at least the fringe of his robe, and all who touched him were healed. You know that scripture I read before about when there's unity, God commands a blessing. It gives a picture of the oil of God running down Aaron, who was the representative high priest, represented uh, God's representative that time. But it says the oil went right down and ran down his whole garment right to the fringe, right to the edge. And when Jesus walked around, the anointing, the anointing was so strong on him that people just had to touch the hem of his garment to be healed. Because the oil of the anointing flows. The reason I like that story so much is because of what happened before that. And if you go back to the book of Mark 5, 14 to 20, it tells a story about the disciples are in a boat again. Might have been the same boat. They go through a storm and Jesus is asleep in the storm. Some of you may know that story. And they have to wake him up because they're scared they're going to drown and die. And they wake him up and Jesus stands up and calms the storm. And so they go through the storm and they get over the other side because Jesus said, we're going to the other side. And they arrive and this man arrives who's demon possessed. And he runs out to Jesus and he says, what are you doing here? And Jesus says, what's your name? And he says, my name's Legion. Because we are many. A legion, I think, is 2,000. So he had 2,000 demons on the inside of him. And if you read the story that the Bible says that, you know, the locals, he's living in a cemetery area outside the town. And they would chain him up with heavy chains, the Bible says, to try because he'd get violent and all this kind of stuff. And he would break the chains because of the demonic forces in his life. And they were totally controlling his life. And so Jesus arrives. I believe Jesus went all the way across to the lake just for him. And so they go through a storm just for this guy. And so they get there and he says, he says, well, I'm going to basically set you free. And he tells all the demons, and he has this conversation with the demons and saying, look, don't throw us in, the, in Hades in the pit of hell, you know, throw us somewhere else. So he throws them into 2,000 pigs that are on the hill and all the pigs run off the cliff. And so it didn't make the local farmers too happy about that. And Legion, who was totally possessed and controlled by those demons, suddenly is free. He was naked, running around in the cemetery when they arrived. And they put a cloth around him 
covered him up and, he's, and the Bible says he's totally in his right mind. And the locals come out and say, what is going on? They see all the pigs running over a cliff. What's going on over here? And G- they see Jesus and disciples and they see Legion in his right mind and it totally freaked them out. He said, how can he be normal? Because they lived with him for so many years and seen his rage and seen all this stuff. And so they had seen that. And the Bible says this, the herdsmen fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. People rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons. He was sitting there fully clothed and perfectly sane. And they were all afraid. Then those who had seen what happened told the others about the demon-possessed man and the pigs. And the crowd began pleading with Jesus to go away and leave them alone. They're like, man, this is just way too much. I don't know who you are. I don't know what power you have. But it's just, we can't understand that. You need to leave. We think that's crazy, but that's what happened. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. But Jesus said, no, go home to your family and tell them everything the Lord has done for you and how merciful he has been. So the man started off to visit the ten towns of the region and then began to proclaim the great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed at what he told them. Then we go back to the scripture I read before. This is the second trip that I read first. Jesus goes back again and this is the reception he gets to the same ten towns. After they prayed, they crossed the lake, they landed at Gennesaret. When the people recognized Jesus, they saw him again. This time they didn't say, please go away. The news of his arrival spread quickly throughout the whole area and soon people bring all their sick to be healed. They begged him to let the sick just touch the fringe of his robe and all who touched him were healed. So that legion had gone back and told his story to all these people. He told his story. He probably didn't see many people healed or anything like that. He didn't know anything about that. He didn't know what to do, but he just told his story. He just did what Jesus told him to do. And then I don't know how long it is after, but Jesus goes back. And this time, because a legion had told them, there was such a great expectancy that Jesus was here He can do anything. And they brought all their sick. And it's one of the times in the Bible where everyone who came got healed. All were healed because of expectancy. They heard, which created expectancy, which created faith. And they're all healed. Do you have expectancy for 2018? Why don't you stand to your feet? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.